Amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke chapter 5. And as you're turning there, and before we jump right into the text, I want to give you just a little bit of encouragement this morning. I want us to take some time to praise the Lord together in something that God has done over the last few weeks. Uh, in 2018, December of 2018, not this December, but the past December, we had a goal for our missions offering, which was quite aggressive. It was a goal of $280,000, which would be divided up between our International Mission Board to support our missionaries all over the world, our North American Mission Board, as well as supporting uh, all of the church planting and things that we're doing as a church here all around the world. So our goal two Decembers ago in 2018 was $280,000. We received $404,000. So we uh, exceeded our goal two years ago by about $125,000. So this last December, just a month ago, we set a goal for $320,000, which is about a 15% increase from our goal last year. And just ask the Lord that, would, that he would uh, bless that. So our goal of $320,000, uh, as of last week, what we received, now that it's been counting from our missions offering this past December, is $603,735. Which... We do need to stop and thank the Lord. Amen. We're not applauding for us. We're applauding for the Lord. Uh, and we need to be mindful of the fact that our giving always represents our heart. So the fact that this church, apart from the fact that we gave like a million and a half for a building last year, gave an extra $600,000 for missions shows where your heart is. And that's what's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to know that your heart is with us, that you get the mission that we exist to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. Well, many of you know this because I've mentioned it before, but every Monday morning, about 8.30, our staff gathers in this room right there. I usually sit right there with my feet dangling off the side. Most everyone sits right here. Your staff, your ministers gather together and we pray. Every Monday morning, we just, we just pray and we do it because the things that we want to see happen at this church are things that only God can do. We don't want to start the work week. Uh, knowing that anything we want to see happen, we can do in our flesh. We know that that's not true. The stuff we want to see God do, only God can do. So we pray. We pray because we need the Lord. We actually feel how desperate we are as we enter into week for his wisdom and his direction, for his presence to be uh, upon us. We do it because we believe, Zechariah 4, 6, that it is not by might and not by power, uh, not by strength and not by might, but by my power, says the Lord. That God's the one who has to demonstrate his power. God has to flex his muscles. Uh, we want the things that happen in this church to not be an evidence of good pastoral leadership, but evidence of a good God who's working among us. So we, we pray. Last Monday was uh, probably the sweetest time we've ever had. I, I don't know why it was unusual, but as we begin to pray, God began to stir and God was moving and uh, he was speaking to us and we were listening. You say, what do you mean God was speaking to us? Well, one of the things that I do in corporate prayers, we're praying together, is that I'm listening for kind of common things. Are we all praying the same thing? And all of a sudden, when you start to realize that a lot of us are praying for the same things and wanting the same things, you realize that God is working. So we just lingered for a little bit longer than we normally do. We prayed a little bit longer. We kind of went with the direction. We felt like the Lord was leading us. And after all of the prayers, the most common thing that came up in everyone's prayer was just a longing for more. 
for more of God, for more of his presence, for more salvation, for more passion, for more marriages to be healed, for more students to give their life to Christ and get serious about the things of the Lord, for more college students to come and be a part of what's going on here, for more growth and more of the kingdom to be displayed here, more healing and deliverance, more holiness we wanted. What's so encouraging to me about that is that it's evidence that God's doing something. I mean, that, that, those aren't flesh and blood prayers. You don't just immediately pray, God, I want more holiness because you're walking in the flesh. If you're praying a prayer of more surrender or desire for more holiness or more people to be saved, that's the Spirit of God putting that in you. And so as we're praying and this desire for more and hunger for more of God is being stirred up, I'm just deeply encouraged because God is, is stirring But I'm even more encouraged because I'm absolutely confident that God doesn't stir something that he doesn't want to start. God doesn't stir something that he doesn't want to start. If God begins to stir something, it's because God wants to start something. And so it's not only encouraging that God is stirring and he's giving us the same desires and affections, but it's pointing to the fact that the God who's stirring is the God that wants to start something new and fresh and exciting among us. When God begins to stir, it's God's invitation. God gives us a vision of a better marriage. He gives us a vision of some deliverance, a vision of a child coming to faith in Christ. He gives us some Holy Spirit desire for more people to be saved and more to be baptized and more college students to come to Christ and more high school and middle school students getting serious about the things of the Lord. God's stirring, and when he does that, he's giving us a vision of something he wants to accomplish. He's giving us this picture of a a better future. We have, to, we have to respond to that. You see, we often miss the middle part. God stirs because God wants to start, but between the stirring and the starting is the seeking. So when God begins to stir something up in you, you don't passively acknowledge it, you engage in it by going after it. This is the life of Christ. This is how this works. God puts something in your heart, he gives you a desire for it, and you begin to go after it by seeking the Lord to even a greater degree. And it is through that seeking that God begins to accomplish that work that he stirred in your heart initially. And that is why we fast and pray. We fast and pray because God has stirred up in us a desire and we want to see that desire fulfilled. We fast because we want more of God. We're hungry for him. We long to see him fulfill everything that he is stirring. Fasting and praying is really our practical response to the stirring of God in our hearts and a desire for more. If God's stirring, start seeking. That's why we fast. So when God begins to give you a desire for some healing or for some deliverance or for some breakthrough or something in your marriage or something with your family or in the workplace, we respond to him by going after him. Luke chapter 5 gives us a great picture of, of why this matters, of why it is that fasting actually accomplishes something and what it does accomplish. And it is the best picture of fasting in light of what we're studying right now as a church about walking with Jesus. So last week, I said that the call of Jesus in all of our lives is the call to follow him. That's hard when you can't see him. And following him seems abstract and distant. It seems confusing on how exactly we do that. And so how do we get practical 
with following Jesus? Well, the answer is this. Is that what we mean is we want you to walk with Jesus, meaning it's the practical, daily, relational disciplines of following Jesus. So if you want to follow Jesus, we'll say then walk with Jesus. You say, what do we mean? Well, walking with Jesus means daily, practically engaging in disciplines that keep you close to Jesus, like praying, reading your Bible, having fellowship with other believers, fasting, giving, all of those things which get you close to Jesus. And Luke 5 talks exactly about how fasting helps us in that pursuit of staying close to Jesus. If you're there in Luke 5, say amen. We talked about this last week in verse 27, that Jesus went out, he saw a tax collector named Levi or Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. It's always the invitation of Jesus. If you believe in me, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So Matthew decided right at that moment, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go follow Jesus. And we knew Matthew was following because he was following. He was right there with Jesus. So we knew that he was a follower of Jesus. So Levi then made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with them. The Pharisees, the scribes, grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So uh, the religious leaders saw that Jesus was not just eating, but reclining, meaning there was genuine fellowship that was happening. They were hanging out together. They grumbled, which is what Pharisees always do. No matter what God's doing, there's always somebody grumbling. That's a Pharisee. That's someone who is religious but doesn't know Jesus. They were grumbling, and they complained and said, Jesus, why are you doing this? To which Jesus responds, this is, this is what I do. Like, I came to do exactly this, and the fact that you have a problem with me doing that is evidence of the fact that you don't know me or understand me or get what I have come to do. I have come to seek and to save the lost. He's going to, just a few chapters before this, come into a temple, open up a scroll, read Isaiah 61, in which he says, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to release the captives, to bring freedom. In other words, Jesus came to do this. But the Pharisees didn't get it. They were missing Jesus because they didn't understand the reason that he had come or understand that he was, in fact, the Messiah. So then they ask him a question in verse 33, which doesn't come out of pure motives or desire to really know. They were testing Jesus, trying to trap him in something. So they say this, the disciples of John fast often and they offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. In other words, Jesus, you say you're righteous and holy, but you don't fast. The disciples of the Pharisees fast, the disciples of John fast and they're praying, but but you're feasting. Why are you doing this? To which Jesus responds with a little parable. He says, Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's a time to feast and there's a time to fast. A wedding is a really bad time to call a corporate fast. You feast at a wedding. And when the bridegroom comes and he's come to take his bride, that is a moment of celebration. There may be no moment of greater celebration when the bridegroom comes to take his bride and you've invited all of the friends. You don't invite all of the friends and say, we want you to know right as we begin this service, we're calling a corporate fast for the rest of the day. You don't do that. You feast. And again, going back to Isaiah 61, the scripture has already told us that Jesus is the bridegroom who has come to collect his bride, the church. That's us. The bridegroom has come, 
And he has come to take his bride, meaning this is not a time of fasting. This is a time of feasting. They have been fasting in hope that the Messiah would one day come, to which Jesus says, he's here. I'm it. It's time for feasting. And so it is, Jesus and his disciples throughout the Gospel of Luke are just feasting and feasting and feasting because they recognize the time. It's not a time for fasting, it's a time for feasting. But look at what he says in verse 35. The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. In other words, there will be a day in which Jesus' physical presence will be removed from earth. We call that the ascension. He lived a perfect life. He died a criminal's death so that he might take upon himself all of the punishment and penalty for our sin. That he might absorb all the wrath of God for us. He then rose from the grave so that we might have newness of life and death would be defeated. And by trusting in him, we're united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible says then he ascended where right now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling above all power and all authority and all dominion and above every name that is named. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, controlling all things. So he has departed. It says when that happens, look at this, then they will fast in those days. Let me tell you something, we are in those days. We're in the days in which the physical presence of Jesus has gone. We are also in the days in which it's expected that we will fast. Just like Jesus says in Matthew 6, 16, that when you fast, don't do it this way, do it this way. Jesus was expecting that fasting would be a normal part of our lives because we live in the day in which the physical presence of Jesus is gone. When he is physically gone, then you will fast. Now listen, This makes incredible sense in light of what we talked about last week. You know, we talked about the fact that following Jesus is a little bit more difficult than it would have been for Matthew because Matthew was summoned and then we knew he did it because he just did it. He began to follow Jesus and he saw Jesus and he heard Jesus and he felt Jesus and he saw his facial expressions and he saw the way he worked and moved. He was sensing Jesus every day as he was around Jesus it's more challenging for us because we don't have the physical presence of Jesus. Now, if you want to just say you're following Jesus but not really follow Jesus, this is a much better time to be in because no one actually knows but you. Where they knew with Matthew because he had to actually do it. But if you really want to follow Jesus, you have to acknowledge it's difficult following someone that you cannot see. You say, well, what does fasting have to do with that? Listen to how this works. Fasting is the means by which... We clear our senses so that we might experience Jesus whose physical presence has been taken away from us. It's the way in which we remove distractions so we can hear Jesus and see Jesus and know Jesus and sense what Jesus is doing. Listen, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, but he is not distant. He is not absent. He says in Matthew 28, and lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. His physical presence isn't here, but Jesus is very much alive and moving and speaking and summoning us into something better. Amen? He is moving. He's speaking. Well, how do we sense him? Fasting removes those distractions so that even though his physical presence is not here, senses are heightened. We can hear, we can see, we can sense what the Lord is doing. Fasting calls us to seek Jesus more and in so doing to receive more from him. In other words, what Jesus is saying is someday my disciples will fast because they will want more of Jesus. 
They will want to experience more and know more of Jesus. So if you're longing for the wisdom of Jesus, the help of Jesus, the direction of Jesus, the reconciliation of Jesus, if you're looking for Jesus to do a miracle in your life and in your family, what do you do? You fast so that you might sense what Jesus is doing. We fast to get more of Jesus. And then Jesus immediately, without break, gives another parable, which honestly doesn't make a lot of sense at first in light of what he just said. Look at the text in verse 36. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. Now, some of you who don't sew as much as I do may not understand that. So let me just explain what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is this. You have an old piece of jeans, an old pair of jeans, and you want to patch a hole in them. If you're going to patch the hole, you want to wash the new denim that you're going to put on the old jeans. Because if you don't, those jeans have already shrunk. And then you're going to put this patch on there and you're going to wash it. And then the patch is going to shrink, but the jeans have already shrunk, so it'll tear away. I think. Did I get that right? I think that's generally how it works. So he just kind of made this logical thing. Listen, if you want to patch a piece of cloth, you, you make sure you wash it first. You don't put something new on something old. And then he gives another picture, verse 37, which I'm sure none of you would understand, so I'll explain it. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. So when they made new wine, it wasn't fermented yet. So they would take these skins, mostly made out of goat skin, these little pouches that had a little string on it so you could carry it around, and they would put new wine in that. And here's what happened. This new wine would kind of emanate all kinds of oils, and because of that, as it was in the fermenting process, that skin would expand. And not only would it expand, it would harden, because that's what happens in the fermenting process. So if you took brand new wine and put it in an old wineskin that had already hardened and had already uh, expanded, it would burst. So you always have to have a new wineskin for new wine. And they understood this. So then Jesus says in verse 38, but, but new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. That's the key to what he's saying. You want new wine? You got to have a new wineskin. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do with fasting? Listen to this. Jesus is coming to bring something new. He's bringing a new kingdom. He's bringing a new covenant. This is the whole point of the interaction that he has with Matthew and the tax collectors. Jesus, why are you eating with these people? He said, because this is why I came. They just did not understand that he had come to do new work and a new thing. You see, the wine is the new work of God. The wineskin is their old traditions. And as long as they're going to hold on to their old traditions and not want anything to change, they will never experience the new wine that Jesus is working. The new work of God will not fit into the old system of man. So the religious leaders missed what he was doing because they could not let go of the old. New wine always needs new wineskins. In other words, if you want the new, fresh work of God, there has to be a new wineskin for God to place that new work in it. See, this applies to fasting because we fast because God's stirring up a desire for a new work. When God stirs in us, it's a desire for something new. We, we don't want the old. We want a new work of God, right? Do you feel a desire for a new work of God in your life? 
and a new work of God in your marriage and a new work of God in your children and a new work of healing and a new work of deliverance and a new work of God in our church. We long for the new work of God. We want the new wine. But what Jesus says is this, if you want the new wine, there must be a new wineskin in order to receive it. In other words, the new work is the wine. We are the wineskin because God is doing a new work in us. And in order for us to receive the new work of God, we must be ready vessels to receive that new work. The wine skin is the new the wine is the new work. We are the wineskin. In other words, what God is doing in fasting is not only us getting more of Him so that we might be prepared for the new work, but it's God getting more of us so we might be prepared for the new work. When I fast, I did a couple of extended fasts last year, and what I do is I, I take my journal, I have just a mold skin, simple journal, and I just make notes uh, for a couple of weeks of everything I, I want to see God do, everything I'm going after, everything God is stirring in my heart. So this may be in my family or marriage with children, uh, the church, specifically as I can get, I just, I write those things down. And then I, I pray through them and seek them from the word. One of the things that always makes my uh, prayer list when I fast is my marriage. And uh, just because I know there's always an attack on marriage, I know how many marriages are falling apart, and I just pray God's protection in our marriage. And Andrew and I have one really challenging thing about our relationship, and it's that we like each other and we're compatible. It really makes it difficult. And the problem with that is, is that because we like each other and we just like living together, well, I would say I like living with her, and she's easy to love, and we are just compatible. The nature of my job with how much I'm gone, the fact we have five kids and how busy we are, if we're not careful, we'll just kind of become roommates that like each other. But God has not called us to be roommates that like each other. He's called us to be in a marriage that is growing in intimacy. So one of the things we talk about a lot and pray a lot is that God would develop greater intimacy, physical, spiritual, emotional, spiritual intimacy with each other, which is something that doesn't come naturally. We've got to work for it. So uh, last fall, I was fasting and praying about this, and I was actually in this room pacing around as I often do, and I was just praying for this area of our marriage. God, give us greater intimacy. And through my reading and through my praying, the Lord kept saying the same thing to me over and over and over, but I knew it wasn't right, so I just kept praying. And he kept saying the same thing over, and I said, no, that you're not understanding me. He just kept saying over and over, Josh, serve Andrea more. To which I said, you don't, Lord, you don't understand that's not the answer to what, to what I'm asking for. I can think of like six other answers, and that's not one of them. That's just serve Andrea more. Here's what I realized. I went into that prayer wanting new wine. Jesus needed a new wineskin. He said, Josh, I, I get it. I'm with you. I, I want to develop that in your life and in your marriage. That's something I want to do. That desire comes from me, but I got to get you ready as a wineskin to receive the new work I want to do. In other words, if you don't start serving Andrea, you'll never see what you want to do. It demands wine and wineskin. So, so when we fast, we're listening for, for what God is stirring. We're listening as we pray. We're listening as we read. And God is stirring. And so we fast to remove all the distractions so we can hear more clearly. God, what do you want to say? But when we fast... We're also preparing ourselves for the new work that God wants to do by surrendering ourselves afresh and say, Lord, if, if you need to do something new in me, do it because I want to see you do everything you want to do. In other words, we fast 
so we can get more of Jesus and so Jesus can get more of us. That's why we fast. Because we want to get more of Jesus and in order for that to happen, Jesus has to get more of us. And these two things have to go together. New wine demands new wineskin. If God wants to do a new work through you, he's going to have to do a new work in you. And all week as I was preparing this message, I kept thinking about this old prayer. And I remember growing up, preachers would come and they would often pray this prayer right before they would preach and they would ask others to pray this prayer. I haven't thought about it in a while and I I thought about it this week. It goes something like this. Lord, do in me whatever you need to do so that you might do through me whatever you want to do. Now that's a scary prayer because we want Jesus to do the stuff through us that we want him to do, but we often don't want him to do in us what needs to happen in order to do something through us. But this prayer embraces both sides of fasting. Lord, I want something new through me. I want to see something greater. I want to experience more of you. But I'm also saying, Lord, in this fast, whatever you got to do in me, clean me out, make me a a new wineskin, because I want the new wine of a fresh work of God in my life. We fast because we want more of Jesus, and we fast because Jesus wants more of us. And you can't have one without the other. You say, well, what, is that, what does that look like practically? I mean, I was, I was walking through the uh, hallway early last Sunday morning, and there's this big you know, sign out here that says 21-day fast, and we're asking you to sign your initials on it. And someone stopped me as I was walking through and said, Pastor, I see that sign. Are you going to tell us what to do? Because I've never done this before. I don't know what to do. Are you going to give us some instruction? And the answer is, is yes. I'm going to give you a few practical things now, but if you go to our website about halfway down, there's a big block that says preparing for fasting. I've given you some incredible articles by Bill Bright and Campus Crusade and John Piper and Desiring God. There's some incredible uh, stuff for you there to read if you want to think more about it. But let me just make this as simple as possible. Fasting is really just denying yourself something good because you want something better. It's denying yourself something good because you want something better. It's saying, I'm going to say no to that good thing because I want something that's better than that. I love food. I want food. But what I want more than food right now is a new work of God in my life. So I'm going to say no to food because I want that. Does it always have to be food? Well, in the Bible, it's always food. It really is an example of other fasts except for food. And I think part of the reason is, is because those hunger pains are to drive us to the word. They're to drive us to our knees. So every time we feel that hunger pain, which happens in most of us about every 20, 30 minutes, then we, 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 we say instead of going to get food in the pantry, we're going to get on our knees in the living room and seek the Lord. So those hunger pains matter. But let me just tell you something. In the day and time in which we live, I don't think it has to be food. As a matter of fact, it could be more profitable in something other than food. Remember the goal is to clear your senses so that you can hear Jesus a little bit more. So if your habit is to go home every night, listen carefully, if your habit is to go home every night and immediately turn on the TV, it's really hard to hear Jesus when you got the TV on, especially if it's the news. You ain't hearing Jesus then. And so what we have this tendency to do is every moment of the day, our senses are engaged. We're seeing something all the time. We're hearing something all the time. We're something in our hand all of the time. And could it be that if you were to go home two days a week, or maybe 21 days, 
or one day a week, and you just decide, I'm going to walk home and I'm not going to turn on anything, but instead of that, I'm going to open the word of God and ask God to speak to me, could it be that once that noise is gone, you will hear more clearly from Jesus? I think that's exactly what would happen. What if you said on the way to work, I'm not going to put anything in on the car, no music, no podcast, no nothing. I'm just going to pray and I'm going to listen to what the Lord wants to say to me. Anything we can do to engage our senses in hearing more and keeping Jesus closer is the goal of fasting. It can come in all kinds of different forms. A practical thing I'm doing, I told my wife this last night, so I'm going to be fasting from food. I'm also going to uh, give Andrea my phone and let her put parental controls on it. So she's the only one that will have the code to my internet on my phone and social media on my phone. So I won't be able to access any of that and she'll only have the code. And no matter how much I beg, she's not going to give it to me. I need it for calls and I need it for maps because I can't get any. I can barely get home. I've lived here two years, but I don't need anything else. So I'm just trying to remove some distractions. My daughter, Lily, decided she wanted to fast from school for 21 days. She said that last week, which honestly, I I mean, it would work. Like if you took 21 days just seeking the Lord with no distractions, that would be amazing. I just question her motives a bit. I'm not sure. Uh, But the bottom line is you're just trying to think, Lord, what can I do to clear space in my ears, in my eyes, in my mind that I might receive more from you? Let me just tell you the key to that. If you just say no to something without getting something else, you'll be miserable the whole time. People say this to me all the time. They say, well, I fast and I got like three hours in and I'm dying, okay? And I think one of the misnomers, listen carefully, is that that entire time you just have to pray. If you decide to turn off the TV and instead of watching it for two or three hours like you often do, praying instead, you're going to make it like six minutes and you're going to think it's two hours. So let me tell you what I believe. When you're fasting, you must also be feasting. On this, you've got to devour the word of God. If you want to hear from Jesus, how do you hear from Jesus right here? We'll talk about this next week. Every single verse in here is pointing you to something about Jesus. So as you turn off the TV, don't just try to pray the entire time. Read this book, write down what God is saying, see what God is stirring and pray out of this. You need to be praying. Make a list of things you want to see God do. Bring those before the Lord every day. Take our prayer calendar, which is right there in your bulletin, a prayer for every day. Pray those prayers, but devour this book. You fast that you might feast on God. This is the goal. You get into the word, you let God speak and let God change you. Now listen to me, I'm not saying this because it's the new year. I'm not saying this in any trite way. I mean this very sincerely. I believe without question, not only because of what God's done in our staff, but because what I sense God doing in my life and in our church and from talking to you, God is stirring something. God's stirring something. God wants to do a new work. And God does not stir something he does not want to start. The question is, will we seek him in order to get the fullness of everything he wants to give us? We think so much in terms of individual, my life, my marriage, and all of that matters. But let me tell you something. When you're a believer, you become a part of a family. You're a part of a church. And what God wants to do in you determines what God is doing in us. And what God is doing in us depends on what God is doing in you. All of this works together. None of us are isolated. We are a family. And what happens in you matters for us as a whole. So for the sake of your life and for the sake of the family of God, go hard after God that we might get everything he wants to give us. That's the call. 
So we've given you some practical things. We want you to put your initials on the board. You know why there's so many initials on the board? Is because last Wednesday night, Jace Thomas, you want to know what's going on in our student ministry, challenged students to fast. Many of them from phones or social media or anything like that. They went and put their initials on the board. And then my daughters brought home a card which says what they're fasting from and asking me as a parent to know that and keep them accountable. That's, that's what's happening in our student ministry. So that's why all those initials are out there because students are doing it. But I'm going to ask you to walk out of here to make a commitment to fast with us, to pray with us, to, to pray these things. I'm asking you this weekend to sign up for our prayer conference, the 24th and 25th, where that will be the moment where not only we're trained practically in a very engaging, fast-moving way about prayer, but it is in that moment which we'll hear each other pray and discern what God is stirring among us. That kind of thing matters. So just get in on what God is doing. Let's not miss what God is trying to start. Let me just say this. Every moment, just hold on to the promise of Jeremiah 29, 13, which says this. If you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. God wants to be found. He wants to do more. He is a God of new things. It's yours for the taking. Just go after God with all your heart.